You're listening to the King's Church DC podcast. King's Church is located in the heart of Washington DC and exists to make Jesus known in our city through enduring presence that brings personal conversion, purposeful living, and community reconciliation. We hope you enjoy the following sermon. Good morning, church. Uh, my name is Wesley, one of the pastors here at King's, and uh, so thankful to have you here with us on uh, this beautiful weekend. It's been great weather. We've finally been uh, looking for this type of weather, and I'm excited that it's finally here. I think the summer's kind of winding down with the heat, hopefully at least, uh, that we experience a little bit less heat and a little more uh, good fall weather. Uh, We are in our series in Genesis today, and we're still hovering over those first two chapters of Genesis in the creation narrative, where there's just so much that we can learn about who God is, who we are, and our calling in this life. And so we're going to continue to just kind of dive into this text today in Genesis chapter 2. Now, uh, up on the screen, you're going to see a meme that I've seen on many of your social media uh, platforms time to time. Uh, It is uh, Daniel Craig at Saturday Night Live. Uh, If you're familiar with what's going on here, uh, some of you post this every week. Uh, Tim Rusek being one. He's not not here today, is he? No, he's not here today, is he? Okay. Uh, Tim uh, Tim is one who who has done this uh, several times. But uh, this this meme uh, kind of went viral after, uh, after Daniel Craig hosted is Saturday Night Live, and he's introducing the band, The Weeknd, okay, at Saturday Night Live, and he, he says, ladies and gentlemen, The Weeknd, and the way he does it with his expression, with his arms, uh, with, with the way in which he just ex- exhales, it's like the perfect reminder of how we feel when The Weeknd actually comes. And so every Friday, it, 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 every Friday, it never fails, someone will post this on their social media just as an exhale that The Weeknd is finally here. And we hear, we hear stories of this all the time, that we live for the weekend. We, we live for this moment of relaxation, this moment of leisure. And there's probably some common reasons, some good reasons that we live for the weekend. Uh, some of us, just to be honest, we don't like our jobs. And so that when the weekend comes around, it's like we can finally enjoy life. Uh, for some of us, it's just that we're just exhausted, right? We're worn down. We're, we're just so busy. We're so just depleted that we have nothing else to do but just to say, oh, it's the weekend, There's something intuitive, there's something within us, ingrained in us, in our creation as human beings that says that we need that pulse. We need that rest. We need that ability to exhale and say, ah, it's the weekend. But it's so much more than just living for the weekend. Even when we think of rest, it's so much more than just saying, we need to take a day off. We need leisure in our lives. When the Bible talks about rest, as we're going to see from Genesis chapter 2 today, when the Bible talks about rest, it's talking about something much deeper. It's talking about the Sabbath rest, something that is just so much deeper than living for the weekend or leisure. It's something more restorative, something more beautiful. It's not less than a day off, but it's something so much more. And I really can't think of a, probably a more uh, important topic for us to cover than rest, living in a city like D.C., a city that it may be hard to rest from time to time. A city where, if we're honest, we put a lot of emphasis on our work. We work really hard in this life here. Our jobs, our career, our ambitions, our goals, they take up not just a lot of our time, but a lot of our resources, a lot of our mental capacity. We put a lot of effort in our work. To be honest, this was a very challenging text for me to study over the last few days. Because I, too, wrestle with rest. It's a challenge for me personally. I was deeply confronted by this this week even, and thinking, what am I going to (laughs) say, right? Rest seems so far from me often. 
Why is that? It's because even though rest is intuitive to all of us, it's so elusive in our lives. It's so easily forgotten. And it's not just the act of stopping work. Rest is much more than that. It's more than just clocking out. It's more than just logging off the computer. Because at the end of the day, we all have this inner voice within us that is speaking to our souls. And every day we wrestle with it. And it comes at us and it says that there's something more you need to do. You're not done yet. You're not good enough yet. You haven't accomplished enough yet. There's more left on the table for you to do. And that inner voice continues to speak and it perks us up to say that we need to answer this email. We need to do this one more task. We need to, we need to join in on this one more thing. We can't quite let it go. Some of your palms are getting sweaty just thinking about this right now, right? It's so true in our lives. It's elusive. But the reality is what the Bible is going to teach us today, that the physical restlessness that we deal with in life is a symptom of a deeper inner restlessness of our souls. The, the, the tangible things that we see as restlessness in our lives and, and, and what we struggle for, what we strive for, is actually a system, it's a symptom of a deeper inner restlessness we all struggle with. We need a deep rest. That's precisely perhaps what Genesis 1 and 2 can show us today. When we look back at creation, what we see is God is, in a sense, he is doing a show and tell for us. In creation, God is creating order for us. In creation, God is creating uh, patterns for us to follow. It's kind of like a, a parent uh, who tries to feed their child baby food. Have you ever seen this before? It's, it's really disgusting. I, when, when a child is trying to, to eat baby food, which is terrible, by the way, and, and we're trying to feed them and they won't, they reject it. And so what does the parent often do? The parent takes it and then pretends to eat it themselves, right? Rarely do they actually eat it because it's terrible. But then they say, oh, it's so good, right? This is the one time where it's actually okay to lie to your children. You say it's so good. And then what do you do? You put it back. And oftentimes what the child will do is the child will actually take it because they've seen it modeled for them. In a very similar way, what God is doing, he's modeling for us something very important, something so intuitive, something we so need in life and rest. And he's saying that, that this is good for you. This is something you need. And I'm going to model it for you in my creation, which leads us to our main point today. What we're going to drive home today is this, that we all need a rest in God. We all need a deeper rest, a deeper rest that can answer the restlessness of our souls. We need this Sabbath rest. And what is the Sabbath rest? It's like the REM cycle for our soul. You know what REM is? The, the REM is the, what is it? the, the rapid eye movement. Our scientists will say that, that the way your body is restored is not by the length of your sleep, it's the depth of your sleep. It's actually getting in these REM cycles. In the same way, there's a lot of shallow things that we could apply to this text today and say, well, you just need to go for a run to relieve the stress of your life. You just need to, 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 to take some time off and, and maybe just, you know, do something a little bit different. Get out of the city, go for a hike, you know, do some meditation, do some, some resting exercises, think positive thoughts. There's a lot of shallow answers to try to mask restlessness in us. What we need is that deep rest. And this is what we're going to learn today. All right, let's get a flow from the text. We're going to see four aspects of rest. We're going to see the perfection of rest in Genesis 2. We're going to see the principles of rest that flow out of Genesis chapter 2. We're going to see the problems with rest, the problems that we often have with it. 
And then fourthly, we'll see the person of rest, the one who can actually restore us to this perfect rest our souls desire. Now, as we said, we've been studying in the book of Genesis here, and we're in Genesis chapter 2 today. Uh, and, and in Genesis, we've been seeing really how Genesis 1 through 11 is teaching us the story of the world from the moment of creation. It's writing this narrative, this truth, this history of the story of the world from the moment of creation. In week one, we talked about how Moses, the author, is writing, and he's writing to teach us about the God who speaks the world into existence. That the world was without form, it was void, it was empty. And God, by his mighty word, he speaks into existence. He creates order out of chaos. And then week two and three, the the last two weeks, we've specifically focused on how we as humanity are made in his image. We're made in the image of the triune God. Male and female, we're, we're created in his image, as we spoke on last week. And what this means is that we're created with the the capacity we're made to reflect and represent God in this world. So today what we do is we find ourselves in the final day of creation, the seventh day, the completion of creation. And let's look at this perfection of rest in verse 1 of chapter 2. Moses writes and he says, Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. Now this is his summary of chapter 1. Moses said, God has now finished the work of his creation. He summarizes it both, and he has finished creating the heavens and the earth, and he has finished creation, creating all the hosts of them, meaning all the inhabitants in them. And this reminds us of chapter one, right? The, the narrative, the pattern that is unfolding in creation that Moses says in chapter one, verse two, the, the earth is formless, it's dark, it's void, it's this chaotic world. And from verses 3 through 31, it unfolds the six days of creation that bring order and life into that dark, chaotic world. And we see the finalizing of creation here in God's rest, which the Hebrew word here is Sabbath. That on the seventh day, God is bringing to completion his perfect creation, his ideal creation. The seventh day is a picture of perfect rest perfect communion between the creation and their creator. Now, as we talked about week one of, of this series, as God speaks his mighty word, uh, the, the, wor- the world is created. And this is so different from other mythological gods. It's so different from other uh, Near Eastern uh, creation narratives and myths, because in, in those, there's always this, this wrestle, this, this cosmic battle. But here we learn that the God of the Hebrews, the God of Israel, he has no rival. He has no equal. He simply speaks and order begins to flow. The world begins to to be created. And as we said week one, that many commentators see that this creation, as you see up on the screen there, is divided into two sets of three. They're interconnected. They're almost counterparts in a way. That God sees this order in this creation of two sets of three, day one through three and day four through six. And all this is hinging back on Genesis 1-2, which says the earth was without both form and it was void. And so this is, this is masterfully written. In the first three days, God deals with the formlessness of the world. He begins to create form by separating one area from another, by creating domains and habitats like light, like sky, like sea, like land. He brings form to the formlessness of Genesis 1-2. And then the other three days, the next set of three days, God deals with the voidness of the world. He deals with the emptiness of the world. He fills it with inhabitants, the moon and the stars, the birds of the air, the sea creatures and the land animals, and ultimately humanity. 
But notice on the seventh day, there is no interconnected day. It's set apart. It's distinct. And that's for a reason. Look at verse 2 of chapter 2. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done. And he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy. Because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. God enters rest on the seventh day. And what that means is that the tension of Genesis chapter 1 and 2 between the darkness and the chaos of of the formless and void world and the triune God has been resolved. God has pushed back that darkness. He has ruled over that chaos. And now on the seventh day, he is delighting in his perfectly ordered creation. What does it mean that God rests from his work? Does it mean that he's now done working? Does it mean that he just abandons the universe? Does it mean that he just doesn't care for the earth anymore? No. To rest here is to cease. It means that something has come to completion. What what it means here is that God rested from his work is that God stepped back from his work of creation and he looks and he begins to delight in his work. Like an artist who finishes a painting and steps back from the canvas and squints his eyes and says, oh, this is good. God now on the seventh day sees the completion of his creation and he rejoices. He delights in it. He sees its completion. Everything is finished. He rests. Did he need rest because he was tired? No. Did the work exhaust him? No. Was he just waiting for the weekend? No. God rested here because now God is stepping back from his work of creation and now he is ruling over his creation. It's complete. It's to be enjoyed. It's a delight to his eye. He is now ruling over it. Now notice there's another difference in how the seventh day stands apart from the other six days. Not only to say God rested, that this work is completed of creation, there's something else that's missing. And every other day of creation, it all ends with the same phrase. There was evening and there was morning. But notice the seventh day doesn't end with there was evening and there was morning. Why doesn't it appear here on the seventh day? Well, I think that omission is very significant. It's reminding us on the seventh day is the day where God grants his presence to his creation. He begins to rule his creation. He enters this rest. And what it means is that God's Sabbath, God's rest, rest is to continue in perpetuity. It has no end. It's an eternal rest. It's not meant to end one day. It is meant to last forever. And the intent here was that God's creation, the seventh day, was intended to enjoy that rest with God forever. The picture here of the seventh day is that we were intended as God's creation to enjoy perfect rest and perfect relationship with him for a lifetime, for eternity, to enjoy God's rest under his rule, under his dominion, under his power and sovereignty. And we're actually told in in the, the story as we continue to read that this is exactly what happened, that mankind experienced this rest they were completely under the mastery of, of God as their king, and they enjoyed his rest. They walked in the cool of the day with him. They enjoyed this perfect communion, this perfect relationship, this perfect rest with him. Up until the point where they decided to be their own masters, right? Up until the point where they decided to rule their own lives, and they lost it. 
They lost this eternal rest that they had in the garden. But the Bible continues, and we can't just read this detached from the rest of the Bible, because as the Bible continues, we'll see that what God does is he instills these principles of rest for his people to remind them of what they once had in Eden. What he's going to do is he's going to continue to instill principles of rest in the Old Testament that are going to echo back to Eden, that are going to remind us of what was once there that God intends to enter a rest that is not just one day, but a rest that is eternal with his people, a rest that has no end. And so let's just look at a few of these principles that we can glean from the Bible as God calls his people back into rest from Eden. Number one, we see that rest is given as a commandment. You look back in the wilderness story in Exodus 20, we see this. Moses is writing this account of creation. He's writing this account of Genesis while in the wilderness as God is inspiring him, as God's speaking his word, his law to him. And as he's writing this, he's also commanded to write down the laws of God for his people, for his covenant people, Israel. And as he's doing that, you can see the echoes of Eden in his law. You can see how he reverts back to creation in the way in which he writes this law for his people. And right in the middle of the Ten Commandments, God commands rest. He says in verse 8, Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant, your livestock or sojourner who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. So there's a principle here for us. Even though we have lost what we once had in the garden, there is still rest for us. And God grants that rest by commanding his people to honor this day, the Sabbath. Now, I find it interesting that this is a command right in the middle of all the other Ten Commandments. In most of those, we have no problem seeing that they're actually a benefit to our society, Right? They're a benefit to us personally, right? Do not murder. It's a benefit to us personally, right? <laughs> do not steal. Do not commit adultery. Don't worship other gods. Okay, this makes sense. But right in the middle of that, he says rest. Right in the middle of that, God commands that we would rest. Work hard, yes. Be creative, yes. Grow, expand, yes. But rest. Set aside this day for rest. Now, why would he command this? Well, I think one reason he commanded this that still applies to us right now is it, it reminds us that work is not the most important thing in our lives. That work cannot become the most important thing in our lives. God's commandment to Sabbath, to rest, breaks that. It's a reminder that it is not the most important thing for us. It is not our God. If you look at the first five commandments, the Ten Commandments, they're primarily dealing with our relationship with God, which includes the Sabbath. It's a reminder that our work, the things that we do, the things that we try to earn and gain on our own are not our God. And rest reminds us of what is most important. Now, a question that commonly comes up when we think about this commandment is, well, well why as Christians do we not observe the, the Sabbath on the seventh day anymore? Why do we not kind of follow that habit that was historically passed down that the Sabbath was the seventh day of the week, which would be Saturday, right? That would be passed down from generation to generation that we would observe as a day of rest and a day of worship. Well, if you look back in history, you see that Christians as early as the book of Acts begin to gather for worship on the first day of the week, or we might even say the eighth day of the week. The significance of that is because of Christ's resurrection. 
right? In the new covenant, we are new creations in Christ because of his resurrection. So in the book of Acts, we see that the early church began to gather. They began to set apart, to set aside a day for worship, being the first day of the week on Christ's resurrected day, the Lord's day, instead of the seventh day of the week. And then as you continue to see in history, as early as 115 AD, in the Edict of Constantine, you see writings that, that promote this, that most Christians now were just observing Sunday as a day of worship, as a day set aside and not the Sabbath Saturday. And then you get to the second century, the, the writings of the early church fathers, and you see that they too say that it was commonplace at this point in the church to recognize Sunday, this first day of the week, as the Lord's Day, honoring the day where Christ was resurrected. Now, when you look back in the Old Testament, and we're not going to go too deep in this because I want us to derail us too long, but the Sabbath also was a sign of the covenant between God and his people, Israel. And when you get to the New Testament, you see that Jesus comes on the scene and he fulfills that. He fulfills the Sabbath for us. And so as New Testament believers, we relate to God's law differently than Old Testament believers. However, even though that means that he has fulfilled the Sabbath, the principle here of the Sabbath is still relevant for us. And it's still important for us to honor the fact that God gave this commandment. It is to be valued that we Sabbath, that we rest, that we remind ourselves on a consistent rhythm that we are not God, we are not in control, and work is not the most important thing. But it's not just that this is a commandment. Rest is also holy. Both echoed in the commandment to rest and in Genesis chapter 2, we see that rest is holy. Verse 3 of Genesis chapter 2. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy. Because on it, God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. So the, the Sabbath day is a holy day. Holy meaning that it is set apart. It is distinct. It's different. It's the only day of creation that was deemed holy. It's different from the rest of the days. It's meant to be separated from the uh, continual kind of rhythms of this life. It's holy. It's set apart. It's not lost in the sea of everything else. Which begs the question, if God so delighted in this day that he set it apart, that he called it holy, that he memorialized it in his commandments, do we too have a day where we treat as set apart? Do we have a day that breaks from the rhythms of this world and the chaos of this world to honor God, to value God in that way? So it was a holy Rest is holy. And then thirdly, it's also a blessing. Rest is a blessing. If you look back at Genesis chapter 2, verse 3, it says, so God blessed the seventh day. It was a blessing. The only day that received a blessing in the creation account, meaning his favor was upon it, which means that it is a day that is rich for us, it is a day that should fill us up. It should restore. It should renew. It should reorient us. And this is really important because when you read the accounts of Genesis chapter 1 and 2, the order of how work and rest relate to one another is really important for us. In Genesis chapter 1, on the sixth day, God creates man. He creates humanity. And then he calls them to work. But what happens next? He creates humanity. He calls them to work. And then they rest with God on the seventh day. And it is out of the blessing of rest that they go and work in the garden. We got to be, we got to understand this blessing here. This is important to get the order right because God didn't have to work then to experience God's presence and blessing in the garden. The blessing was that we could rest with God, that, we, that God delighted in his creation. And out of that rest, out of that blessing, we then go and work. Meaning that Adam in the garden, he didn't have to prove anything to God by his work. 
It was a result of his blessing, his rest, his love. God creates Adam and Eve. He puts them in the garden. He gives them all the resources and all the food that they need to work and to do really good work. But he says, he sets aside this time to rest, to commune with him, to delight in him, to be in relationship with him. And out of that relationship, out of the blessing of knowing God and being in communion with him and resting with him on the seventh day is what we see happen, that the, the man and the woman, they go and they work. Work flows out of that blessing. God intends for us to receive the blessing of rest and then go and work from there. And then we see that rest is a reminder. It's a reminder in the garden and it's a reminder in his law. What is the reminder of? Rest is a reminder that everything is God's and everything comes from him. Rest is a reminder that we need so desperately that everything is God's and that everything comes from him. In other words, that even though we're created in the image of God, we are not God, right? We have our limitations. And God has designed rest in such a way to give us a tangible reminder that we are not the ones in control. That everything comes from God and everything is from him. You might say, well, I've worked really hard to get my job, right? It was through my talents. Well, who gave you those talents? I worked really hard. It was through my intellect, my study, well, who gave you that brain, right? I worked my, my, my butt off to get this job. Well, who gave you that butt, right? Like God, God, God is everything, everything, right? Is his. Everything is his. Your work, your, I can't believe I said that. Your body, <laughs> your rest, it's from God. It's a gift from God. And, and rest is a reminder. It teaches our hearts that none of it is truly ours that it's the creators. And you know what the, the best tangible reminder of this in rest is? That when a day ends and our bodies are too exhausted to continue, and when the day ends and our eyes are too heavy to stay awake, you know what God continues to do? He continues to work. It's a reminder that he continues to work on our behalf. When our bodies fail, when our eyes are too heavy, he's already starting a new day, a new gift for you a new opportunity. Rest is a reminder that we are not God, but he is. And so here's some principles that we see in the Old Testament commandment to, to rest to Sabbath and also here in Genesis chapter two. Now let's go to the problem with rest. What is the problem here? If God establishes this pattern for us to follow in Genesis 2, and he tells us this beautiful, perfect, eternal rest that we had with him in the garden, and although we've lost it because we wanted to be the master of our own souls and we wanted to be our own God, he still establishes these rhythms of rest in his Old Testament, these principles for us. What is the problem? Why do we still struggle with this? Why do we still lack rest in our lives? Well, it's because, again, as I said at the beginning, it's elusive. We resist it, don't we? I mean, we resist it for a few reasons. I think the big categories are, it's, it's both because of our, our fallenness, our sin that we resist it, or we're in rebellion. We also resist it because we're limited and we don't like being limited. We don't like realizing that, that we have limited capacities, that we are finite. And so this problem of rest, it, it creates within us these, these habits, these imbalanced habits within work and rest. 
It creates imbalanced habits within work and rest. So we go through this life struggling with trying to figure out how do we honor this calling to work? How do we work in this life? But how do we also rest? We'll see this in Genesis chapter 3 even, the struggle uh, that happens as it continues, the story continues. But I just want to briefly draw your attention to a few things that I personally have realized in my imbalanced struggle with work and rest and how this tension, this problem with how do we rest in life? What causes us to resist it? I think the first is idolatry. When work just becomes everything to us. When it becomes our world, when it consumes us, when we realize that if we lose the work that we're doing, the things that we're doing with our hands, with our minds, with our brains, when we lose those things, we can't rest because they're everything for us. And it's not just that they are everything in the sense that we love our job too much, but that what we build our identity on. We've, we built our foundation on this. We built our worth on this. And because of that, if it comes crashing down, everything comes crashing down. It's hard to rest when you're trying to build work as your idol. And if you want to get a litmus test that I've, I've tried to, to examine my own soul in this, where you have this imbalance of work and rest and idolatry, it's simply this. Are days of rest more of an obstacle or a joy in your life? When you have a day of rest, does it feel like more of an obstacle to get what you really want in life, or is it a joy? Because if it's an obstacle, if it feels like it's prohibiting you from something, then perhaps work has become too important. Perhaps it's become an idol. We have this imbalance. We're not knowing how to rest deeply. Another way this uh, manifests itself is pride. Uh, Pride specifically in our busyness. We want to be busy, don't we? We love telling others how busy we are. We love telling people how much we have to get done, how overwhelmed, how exhausted we are from all of our tests. How many of our conversations start with, I'm just so busy, right? I mean, boasting about our business, I think, has passed baseball as our nation's pastime right now. Like, literally, it's just something we just love. We love to tell people how busy we are. Why? Why do we love to boast about how many hours we work or how many emails we have to answer or how many important tasks have fallen on our shoulders? Because we like to think we're important. We like to think that we're needed. And when we feel like we are needed and important, it's hard to rest. Because what rest reminds us is that we're not. And it's really hard to rest when we realize that, oh, I need to accomplish something new. Or if if I don't respond to this, maybe they won't think I'm as important as I think I am. But rest has the power to dethrone us from being on top of the world. And we don't like to be confronted with that we're not that important, that we're not that needed. And so oftentimes our physical restlessness, the busyness that we carry in life is a pride that's built up to distract us from the inner restlessness of our souls. That we have no foundation. And so what we do is we just make ourselves really, really busy all the time to distract us from that reality that we are actually not in control, that we're not the masters of our own soul, that we're not king. Perhaps another one is guilt. We love work so much that we feel guilty putting it down. It's not even sometimes that you love it so much. It's just that you, you feel like you have to, to be available, right? You feel like you have things to get done. You have to answer this. You, if someone has to need your help. And because of that, even if work is not that important to you, the grind has taught your heart that if you don't respond, you will be condemned. Guilt sets in. And we think if we don't act right now, they will think little of us. They will think poorly of me. 
And so guilt begins to have this unsettling part in your heart where it's not just that you have to work 80 hours to feel guilty to work more. It's just that you, you have this unsettling reality that I can't be unconnected to my work. Because if I'm unconnected to the things that I'm doing, then maybe people, maybe, maybe people think poorly of me. Maybe I'll do something wrong. And you, you feel this burden of, of guilt in your work. Now, what's going on in all these problems and why do I bring this up? It's because it goes back to what we said at the beginning, this inner voice that we have. It whispers to us often that you're just not good enough. It whispers to us often that you need something more in your life. It whispers so subtly that you need to do more. You need to prove your worthiness in a way. You need to atone for something that has gone wrong in your life. And what we need is a deep rest that can dethrone that striving, that can dethrone that kind of mastery of our souls and put Christ as king. We need a deep rest, right? It's good to have a Sabbath habit, but what we need is a Sabbath heart. It's good to have a day of rest, but what they experienced in Genesis chapter 2 in the garden was a heart at rest. And that comes through knowing the person of rest. Let's look at Hebrews 4. Hebrews 4 in the New Testament reminds us that this perfect rest that we see in Genesis chapter 2 that God has with his people, his creation, this ideal rest in his ideal creation, it's still available for us. Isn't that good news? It's encouraging. Uh, Hebrews 4 tells us this is still available for us. Hebrews 4, starting in verse 4. For he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again, in this passage, he said, they shall not enter my rest, since therefore it remains for some to enter it. And those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience. Again, he appoints a certain day, saying, Today, through David, so long afterward, in the words already quoted, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. Verse 8. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. The writer of Hebrews really takes us on a journey of the, the history of the Old Testament here. And he reminds us through the history of the Old Testament that God still has a rest, this perfect rest awaiting his people. And he begins with creation in verse 4. And he reminds us in creation that this restful, peaceful, sovereign God has this rest and peace and a place of worship and a place of joy for his people to fellowship in. In the garden, this perfect rest, this, this completion is there. This Sabbath rest, this restored, this beautiful reality that's supposed to last forever. A rest that has no end. But then he jumps to verse 5, quoting from Psalm 95, and he's now talking about the wilderness in the Old Testament. And he says, even though God had promised after they had, after they had lost that rest in Eden, he promised a land of rest for them, the promised land, that they still rebelled from God. And so Psalm 95 is quoting here that in their rebellion, in their unbelieving, they, they, they've alluded, they've been excluded from this land. And so what does God in his grace do once again for his people? Well, as we said earlier, he institutes through Moses instructions of how to receive rest, how to receive Sabbath. And here's, I'm going to take you down a little journey here of sevens, okay? So remember a lot of sevens, okay? All right, there's the significance here. 
He says, on the seventh day, you're going to have Sabbath. And the first of the seven festivals I'm going to give you, according to Leviticus 23, is going to be the Sabbath festival. And then every seven years, you're going to have what's called a Sabbath year. And in that seventh year, you're going to forgive any debts. You're going to, to lay uh, rest the land. You're not going to reap from the land for an entire year. And you're going to set any captives free. And then on top of that, to show you my, my rest here, every seven times seven years, you're going to have the year of Jubilee. And the year of Jubilee is going to be a year where all f- debts are forgiven, where all wrongs are restored, where everything is, is made right. And he gives them this pattern to show them rest. But then we get to the next season of the Old Testament, the, the time of Joshua. We see in verse 8 that, that Joshua actually does lead the people into the promised land. But this wasn't the forever rest. It was a respite. It was a relief. But it wasn't the forever rest that God had promised. And so even past the time of Joshua, we then get to the time of David, which is again quoting from Psalm 95, reminding us here that David is saying God is still holding out for his people this offer of rest. It's still there. It's still available. And then we get to the end. The end of chapter, or verse 8 through 10. That speaks of this future hope of rest. God spoke of another day. A day that would come centuries later from David. A day where, where people would experience rest. And, and as you continue to read the Old Testament, you see that the people of God, after David, they, they enter exile, they enter captivity again. But God's prophets, they continue to promise that there's going to be the ultimate rest. It's going to come. This year of Jubilee is going to come. And then we break through the silence and the voidness and the darkness of human history with Jesus. And in God's perfect timing, get this. You know what day Jesus starts his earthly ministry? The Sabbath. The Sabbath. Luke chapter 4. He came to Nazareth where he had brought, where he was brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on when? The Sabbath day. And he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering the sight to the blind to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. What is the year of the Lord's favor? It is the year of Jubilee. And Jesus later in this text says that these scriptures are being fulfilled today. What does Jesus do? He comes in his earthly ministry on the Sabbath day, and he proclaims that he is the ultimate rest that the Old Testament had been pointing to. He claims that he is the ultimate year of Jubilee. He is the Lord of the Sabbath, he'll later say. He is the one who has pushed back the darkness and the chaos on the cross forever. It is Jesus' work when he says it is finished on the cross. His work is done, meaning that the perfect sinless Savior has sacrificed for our sins. He has proven his worthiness so that we don't have to anymore. He has done his work so that our incomplete work, our failed work, doesn't have to stand anymore. When he says it is finished, he is putting the nail in the coffin for us to find our identity and our work and our worth, trying to earn our own salvation. He says it's no more. You don't have to do that anymore. You can rest in my work. You can rest in what I have done because of the resurrection, that future hope of rest that Hebrews tells us about is here for us.
and we can now enter that rest. Which is why Jesus, in his earthly ministry, could say these very, very sweet words to us this morning in Matthew 11. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I, I, Jesus, will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. I don't know if you're burnt out today, or if you realize right now that your life and your identity has been wrapped up too much in your work, or you feel guilty putting it away, or you've lived this week trying to prove your worthiness to other people. Whatever is causing that tireless, that restlessness in your soul, God tells us here that his rest is open for you. Whether it's the first time you're hearing those words, or once again, God wants us to be assured today that he loves you and that he offers a rest that will never end, a rest that night will never fall on, a rest that will never have evening and morning again. He wants you to experience the rest that we were meant to experience in the garden. He wants us to experience a rest that while we labor and feel burdened in this world and we face restlessness and limitations and challenges and sufferings, he wants us to experience his perfect rest that tells us and reminds us that there will one day be a day where there'll be no more crying, lamenting, tears, shame, and inward anxiety, corruption. That is the rest that Jesus offers you today. That is the rest that we can experience in this life. Come to him today. And as you come to the Lord's table in just a moment, as we reflect on what Christ has done for us, we are both reminded of our limitations in the Lord's Supper, and we're assured in the Lord's Supper. We're assured of how much he loves us, that despite our restlessness, despite our imperfections, despite our striving, Christ has obtained our entrance into eternal rest. And so if you're still listening to that inner voice right now, that says that you need to, 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 to prove yourself worthy today. That you will only be loved by what you produce. You will only be loved as, as useful as you are to others. Hear the overriding voice of our Father in heaven who says to us, it is finished, I love you, enter my rest. We all need Sabbath in this life. We need rhythms. We need time to set aside or this world will crush us. But what we need most today is a restful heart, a heart that is at peace with our creator, a heart that is trusting in Christ, a rest that has no end, a rest that Jesus promises to our weary souls. Thank you for listening to this episode of King's Church DC podcast. If this sermon encouraged you, please like, rate, and subscribe to our podcast. For more information on our church and service times, please visit kingschurchdc.com. We hope you will join us again next week.